Pastor Gary and multiple others are over in Israel uh, today, um, having her faith strengthened as they study about the Lord Jesus and walked where he walked. We'll want to pray for them about their faith being strengthened and about their safety until they get back home. Pastor Gary has, um, I'm, I'm so thankful for his wisdom, he has taken our church through the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. And um, today, uh, he has given me the privilege of going through the essential doctrines of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. You know, if we were going to actually study the essential doctrines of Jesus Christ, we would start in the first verse of the Scriptures, and we'd go through the last verse of the Scriptures, and it would take us months and months and months. So Gary's giving me 35 minutes. I'm going to do the best I can to cover at least 10 of the essential truths about our Lord Jesus Christ and then spend some time about why that's important to us. Let's pray first. Lord God, my my purpose here today is to glorify and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm asking, Father, please, that you enable me to do that. Father, you give us your word. Your word is true. And you give us your word so that we would know these things and that these truths would make changes in our lives. I'm asking, Father, please, that as we review these truths from your word about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that you'd apply them to our lives. In our special individual circumstances, you would apply these truths to each person here. You would bless them and glorify yourself. Father, it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Ten essential truths about our Lord Jesus Christ and why they're important. The first truth you must know is that Jesus Christ is the eternal second person of the Trinity. Jesus Christ is not a created being. Jesus Christ always was. Had no beginning. You need to understand some things about the Trinity. We all need to understand some things about the Trinity. The Trinity is a word actually not in Scripture, but it's taught to us in Scripture that there is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You do not worship Three gods. That's a misunderstanding by some people. You worship one God. One God in three persons, but one God. When we say one God, what the Lord has taught us in His Word is that there is a nature to God. There is an essence that is God only. And that essence, that nature that is God only, is in each of the three persons of the Godhead, or the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Lord had John in his gospel, in the first verse of the first chapter of his gospel, say it to us in this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Father is no more God than the Son. The Son is no less. The Son is no more God than the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is no less. The essence, the nature of God is 
in all three of the persons. And they were there always before there was the universe. They were complete, self-sufficient, needed nothing. We must have in our hearts and our minds the exaltation of Jesus Christ as God. The second truth that you and I must know, there was a time when there was not the universe and there was a time when there was the universe. There is the creator and the creation. And Jesus is the creator. The creator of all things and the sustainer of all things. The Lord had Paul write this down in his letter to the Colossians chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. You, just to pause for a moment, you must need to know there's more to reality than the physical universe. There are things you can't see and they're real. And everything that is created that you can't see, he's the creator of it. Angels, for instance, real. You don't see them, but he's the creator of all things, visible and Invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You must get a grasp of not only is he the creator, there is this power that he has to sustain the universe. We take that for granted. You take for granted that you can sit in a chair and you don't get crushed by gravity and you don't just fall off the earth. You take for granted that your watch actually means something, that the future is going to be like the past. You take for granted that the earth is going to stay at its tilt. It's going to rotate at the same speed all the time to give you a 24-hour day. You take for granted the earth is going to rotate at the same speed around the sun and you can have a calendar. You take for granted that the moon is going to rotate around the earth at the same speed all the time and you're going to have a month. The only reason that is that way is that there is a sustainer of the universe. Jesus Christ. You take for granted that you actually are going to hold your body together. The, the four fundamental forces of the universe are there only because Jesus Christ sustains them. The strong forces that hold the nucleus of your atom together is there only because Jesus Christ sustains it to be so. The only reason gravity stays exactly the same all the time, Jesus Christ sustains it to be so. The only reason that you have any idea that tomorrow will be like yesterday is because Jesus Christ sustains it to be so. He is not only the creator, he is the sustainer of the universe. He is exalted above above everything. The third truth about our Lord Jesus who always has been God, who had no beginning, completely sufficient in his self-existence in the Godhead, needing nothing out of the love of God and for his glory, 
created. And then there was a day where he added to his nature of God, humanity. Always God. And one day became also a human. Eternal God became a human. Fully God and fully man. He did not diminish his deity. Fully God. He wasn't only part human. He was exactly a human as you are. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. We were told that that woman was special. She was a virgin woman. And that our Lord Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in a virgin woman. Under the law. In the fullness of time, the Lord decided that he would be a human, but take on the second nature of humanity in a country that is ruled by pagans, to parents who were poor, living in a manger when he was born, and being brought up in an insignificant household. We worship one God in three persons, one nature God in three persons, but the Lord Jesus is one person with two natures, fully God. Fully man. The Lord had John in his gospel in verse 14, chapter 1, tell it to us like this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The Lord was purposeful in having witnesses to himself. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, there is no one like our exalted Lord Jesus Christ. One person with two full natures, God and humanity, man. <clears throat> but you need to know, we all need to know this about the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> As a human, he was perfect. The Lord says it to us like this in Hebrews 4. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Everyone in here is tempted to lie. Everyone in here has always been tempted to be bitter, to be resentful, to be deceitful, to be unforgiving, to hate people, to be proud, to be arrogant. All of us have been tempted in that. He underwent the exact same temptation all of you have gone through. Tempted to be discouraged, depressed. All temptations that you have gone underneath, Jesus met. And he was perfect. All of the rules and regulation of the law that were given through Moses, he fulfilled every single one. It is a requirement well, we're taught all the way through scriptures, the Old Testament teaches you that there has to, for every sacrifice that was worth anything that would be accepted had to be unblemished. Jesus must have been perfect to have been your sacrifice. Peter, who lived with him, 
wrote this in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Truth number five. This, this really is all about the work of Jesus Christ. Books and books and books have been written about the work of Jesus Christ so that we would understand what actually did he do on the cross. Jesus took the punishment for all of the sins of all of the believers. Those are easy words to say. You must grab a hold of what the Lord Jesus did. He took all of the punishment for all of the sins for all believers. Paul wrote it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Perfect. This is called the great exchange. Had no sin. He drank the cup of all of the sin of all believers. Became their sin. It would be helpful for you to meditate on yours. Words said. Thoughts said, things left undone, behavior that was harmful. It would be helpful to meditate on yours. He became sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why would God become a man? Why would God leave heaven, take on humanity, become a man to die in your place. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whenever God is revealing about his love, whenever he talks about himself as loving you, loving people, it is always attached to the cross. Always attached to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God shows his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why did he come to the earth? He himself bore our sins in his body. On the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. It's as though someone was just personally asking Christ. Why would the son of man. The second person of the trinity. The eternal God. Why would God become a man. For even the son of man came not to be served. But to serve and to give his life as a ransom. For many. He came to die in your place. Truth number six. He did die. He really died. It wasn't a sham. It wasn't a make-believe. It wasn't, you know. Anything you have ever suffered or will suffer, Jesus suffered. Including death. Anything and everything you have ever suffered, you'll not suffer something Jesus didn't suffer, including death. 
The Lord made certain that we would know this. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage, went to Pilate, and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have died, already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Jesus died. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb. That had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone in front of the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, was, saw where he was laid. The Lord has written this to us. He had witnesses that were there to testify to you and to me. Jesus died. He came to die for your sins. Truth number seven. You've, you've heard the familiar saying, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Friday was when he did his work. Friday was the day he drank the cup of our sin. Friday was the day he voluntarily allowed him to be beaten, rejected, humiliated, nailed to the cross. Friday was the day he took all of the punishment for all of the sin of all believers. Friday was the day he died. Dead in the grave, and he came back to life. Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead on the third day. This is the cornerstone of all of Christianity, is that he came back to life. He wants us to know. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened. And bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And be crucified on the and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. When Paul was writing his letter to the Corinthians, he was trying to summarize this in a very few words. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves to you and me multiple things. First off, it proves to you and me he was God. Jesus is God. It, it 
proves to you and me that everything Jesus said is true. And what he said was true was all of Scripture. So it proves to you and me that all of the Scripture from the first verse to the last verse is infallible, inerrant words of God to you and me. What a blessing for you and me to have words of God written down for you and I to read. What a privilege. It proves to you and me it's true. Proves to you and me there's life after death. You ever been at the graveside of somebody who was a follower of Christ and you loved them? And you knew that down here you weren't going to see them again. Maybe you're facing your own death. The Lord has proved to you and me there's life after death. No eyes seen, no ears heard, where human hearts even imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. There is life after death. The last thing that the resurrection proves really is the most important probably. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and he became all that sin for all believers, taking the full punishment for all of that, and he died and was in the grave. While he's dead and in the grave, it's uncertain if his sacrifice will be accepted. The resurrection proves his sacrifice is accepted. And all of his followers are justified. His resurrection is proof of your justification. That your punishment paid for those who follow him. He took it all and you will be declared as right. He who had no sin became sin so that you can now be declared the righteousness of God. Followers of Jesus Christ declared as righteous as Christ himself. The resurrection proves that to you. Truth number eight. Jesus ascended into heaven. On that first day, when he met the women in the garden, this is what he said. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending. To my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. On the resurrection day, that was probably the first day that he ascended. Probably has to do with him talking about the ladder and going up and down. He ascended to a place, a real place, not an idea, not a myth. I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is real. His ascension proves to you and me that heaven is real. His last ascension, the way the Lord does things, he wanted eyewitnesses to be sure that you and I know. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus Christ ascended to a place and he prepares a place for you and me. Heaven is real. Truth number nine. Jesus is on his throne and is the final judge of every person. 
I read where a pastor I took men in a men's Bible study and asked every one of them to just close their eyes and for a minute have a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gave everybody time to really meditate on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then went around the room and he asked every one of them what that picture of Christ was. Nobody in the room had Christ on the throne. Christ not in the manger anymore. Christ didn't walk in the roads teaching. He's not on trial. He's not being beat. He's not hanging from a cross. He's not in a grave. Jesus Christ is on his throne. He is the sovereign ruler of the universe. Nothing happens in this universe that doesn't come through him. Every second of the universe he is in control of. But here's the other part of this truth. We all really enjoy hearing about the love of God. No one really wants to hear about the wrath of God. Every single person is going to meet the judge. The Lord Jesus is the judge of every person. It is impossible for you to live and not meet Jesus. Everybody meets Jesus. And everybody is accountable for every word you've ever said. Every thought you've ever had. Every motive you've ever done. Every action that's come out of your life. Every person is held accountable for every one of them. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, reincarnation is a lie. You die once. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Everyone meets Jesus. Everyone is accountable. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 2 Corinthians 5.10 Everyone meets Christ. The living, reigning ruler of the universe. Revelation tells it to us like this. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, that's the Lord Jesus, From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. Everyone meets the Lord Jesus. Truth number 10. Lord Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. Hebrews 9.28 So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The first time the Lord Jesus came was to die in your place. The first time he came, he came as a baby in the womb of a virgin. 
grew up to be a adult man, had a job, voluntarily beat, crucified, dead, and buried. The second time he comes, he comes as the ruling, reigning king. And on that day he comes, for some people it will be the best day in their whole existence. If you're still alive when he comes, there is no more glorious day for you to then see your Savior, your God, and your King face to face, and you don't go through death. That's why John said, come quickly, Lord Jesus. For some people, it would be the worst day of their whole existence. The day they meet the judge, the king, that they have rejected. Revelation 1-7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. Doctrines are important. You must know, I must know, we all must know the essential truths of Jesus Christ. But the demons already know that. Just knowing essential truths about Jesus Christ is not enough. If we just get puffed up that we now can say some things about Christ and walk out of here and that's all it is, that's empty. Why are these truths important? Everyone in this room is different. Everyone around the world is different. We look different, we're different sizes, we're different ages, we have different backgrounds, different experiences, we do different things, and yet we're all the same. Everybody in this room has the same two problems. And only the Lord Jesus Christ is the solution for those two problems. Our most important problem is that everybody in this room has caused much harm. Theologically, we call that sin. Everybody in this room has caused much harm. David did have it right. It was against you and you only I have sinned when he talked about his sins against other people. He knew it was against God, but you have harmed people in your rebellion against God. We all have. Everybody here has lied. Everybody here is coveted. Everybody here has been bitter, resentful, hated, wouldn't forgive. Everybody here has been proud, arrogant. Everybody in this room has said words we shouldn't have said. Everybody in this room done things. We all then... The Holy Spirit's job is to convict you and me of that sin, and so that's guilt. So we walk around life burdened with the guilt of the harm we have caused. It tells us that we are then separated from those we have harmed. First, God. 
We're separated from God because of our harm we have caused, because of our sin. And everybody in this room has experienced separation from people that you have harmed. You know that. The wages of our sin is death. Sin equals death. We all must really understand the truth God tells us. For every sin that we have caused, every sin we have caused, somebody will die. Somebody will die for every sin we have ever caused. The offer is that for those in trust in Christ, he dies in your place. Or you will die for yourself. Everybody is facing a death sentence. The issue is, who takes it? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, the offer to all of us and every person, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You must let this soak into your heart. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no guilt in life. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no fear in your death. There's no fear of the day you meet Jesus Christ. The day you meet Jesus Christ, He is the one interceding for you. He's your Savior. It will be the greatest day of your life. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. How does it become a person become in Jesus Christ? It would be like this. When I was nine, <clears throat> all those years in church had no idea what they were saying. All I want to do is leave and go have lunch. And there was a day, by the grace of God, someone was presenting to me about the exalted Lord Jesus. I had a broken heart over my sin. He will give you a broken, contrite heart. You'll admit it. You'll confess it. You'll repent of it. And you'll know and you'll trust that Jesus is God. That Jesus on the cross took your sin. You'll trust that your punishment didn't deserve it being done this way. By the grace of God, you'll trust your punishment went to Jesus and he took it. And you'll stake all of your reputation, all of your life, all of your eternal destiny on Jesus Christ. And now there's no condemnation. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Your judge is the one interceding for you. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Your only path of reconciliation to the Father is through the Son. And that's the offer. Problem number two that we all have in common with everybody else in the world. We've all received much harm. Everyone has received much harm. For some of you, it's physical. Some of you are born different than other people, and you've been dealing with physical pain, physical loss all your life. Some of you, you've acquired physical pain. Maybe you're even facing death coming up. But everyone here has had sorrow. Everyone here has had sadness. Everyone here has had disappointment, discouragement. Everyone here has been misunderstood. Everyone here has had a time of being rejected. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is one solution, and it's the only solution. The Lord Jesus makes this offer to those who are His. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. The Lord Jesus loves you. That's why He came to die. He came to die for you because somebody was going to die, and He voluntarily died in your place. And now He is your respite. He is your strong tower. He is your deliverer. For some of you, your sorrow, your sadness, your pain will not be eliminated in this world. For some of you, it's when you meet Jesus face face to face, and this is the glorious promise that he has. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Ten essential truths about our Lord Jesus Christ. Probably there's somebody who's come here today, who came here today, and the Lord Jesus wasn't your Savior. My prayer for you is it could be your day like it was for me one day when I was nine. And by the grace of God, he's given you a mind and a heart that all of a sudden you'd hear this and you'll be overwhelmed with your sin. You'll be overwhelmed that Jesus is who he says he is and that you'll be overwhelmed that he would die in your place and today you'll trust him. And you'll be in Christ Jesus. Been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. That would be your statement. Most of you, however, have already had that experience. Most of you have had that day. That's why you're here. You're here to worship Jesus. Do you realize how you can take for granted the Lord Jesus? How you can actually take for granted being saved? My prayer for you is that you will be overwhelmed with who he is. 
you'll see the exalted God Almighty. He humiliated himself for you. Who on purpose died in your place and loves you and looks forward to the day that he sees you face to face and he prepares a place for you and that you'll walk out of here overwhelmed and in awe and that you will not ever take him for granted and that because of what he has done for you and who he is, you'll dedicate your life to him and that you'll say to everybody, all my choices all my reputation, all my eternal destiny is for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we wouldn't know these things unless you told us. Thank you for telling us. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, please, have mercy on somebody in the room today that came here without Christ as their Savior. Please have mercy. And Lord, um, give them a broken and contrite heart. And then give them faith to trust in Jesus. Please. Father, the rest of this room you've redeemed. I'm praying, Father, that you'd put in us again a joy of our salvation. That you'd put us in awe of who Christ is, and we'd never get over it. We love you, and Father, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.